0: All right, good morning. It's great to see you here today at Hope and Anchor Church. I hope that uh, all the things that have been taking place this week, all the ups and downs, all the all the good things, all the challenging things, have really worked together to bring you to this point. Uh, because we sit here in the presence of the Lord. The, word, the Scripture promises us that Jesus is here in our midst. God's Holy Spirit is, is available and at work in this very room. Uh, sometimes we go to church and we feel like, oh... Didn't really get much out of it. That didn't really get much out of it today, you know. And uh, I've come to realize that that's really not the fault of God. That's usually the fault of me, uh, personally, uh, because sometimes we show up uh, and we're we're distracted or or we're uh, our, our thoughts are called aside. But I just want to make you aware of the opportunity that exists. We get to sit in the presence of the Lord and open His Word and really hear God uh, speak a timely word in our lives. And so I pray that that's what happens today. Today, we are continuing in our Our Father uh, teaching series, our learning adventure through the Lord's Prayer. And this is week number eight. And today's message is called Tetragrammaton. And I know across the room, people are face palming, like, oh, not another sermon about the Tetragrammaton. But um, I think it's going to be time well spent as we unpack the Tetragrammaton. Does anyone know actually what the Tetragrammaton is? anyone Bueller class no it's a it's a part of Voltron you remember that Voltron cartoon (laughs) no it's actually I'll explain the tetragrammaton it has to do with the name of God so (laughs) we're all gonna learn at least something today names names what are names why do we have names here's what I believe and I don't think anyone will really disagree with me names are a good thing Names are a good thing, why? Names are a good thing because they identify us, uh, names they describe us, and names really locate us in the world. It's universally accepted. It is a universally accepted truth that names are a good thing. Uh, Names are beneficial for the function of society. I would elevate it to that level. Society functions best when people have names, right? I have yet to hear of a culture or a society which naturally exists without names can you imagine even in a room like this it's just like you there hey I mean sometimes churches like that because you can't remember people's names so it's like hey brother <laughs> hey sister hey champ hey shooter you know we, we come up with names because names are important but sometimes we can't remember them but really I say all that to say this, no society exists without naming people. Names are important. As we approach God and the Bible, it is wise for us, in this as in other things, to gain a cultural and contextual understanding of what names meant in the Old Testament. What names meant in the first century world. Would you believe that names carried a little more weight and gravity and meaning uh, in times past than they do in modern day America? Here and now we just name our kids names that we like, uh, that sound good. But in the old days, in the Old Testament, in the first century world, names carried with them much more significance. (laughs) Now, the Blue Letter Bible, which is found at the BlueLetterBible.org, which is a searchable uh, Bible app, uh, the Blue Letter Bible explains it this way. In the Old Testament times, a name was not only identification, but an identity as well. Your name was your identity. It didn't just identify you. Many times, a special meaning was attached to the name. Names had, among other purposes, an explanatory purpose. For example, Nabal, in the story of Nabal and Abigail, uh, means fool. Why? Well, Nabal was a fool right his name meant fool I'm not sure how the timeline worked out the parents are like I think this kid's gonna be foolish let's name him this or if names changed after the fact like that guy's a giant fool we're gonna change his name from Dennis to Nabal (laughs) you know uh, names kind of seem to be a little more fluid sometimes based on what you did Um, anyway Nabal's name meant fool and he is the target of Abigail's explanation to David when he she says for as his name is so is he Nabal is his name and folly is with him you can read about that in 1st Samuel 25 throughout scripture God reveals himself to us through his names when we study these names that he reveals to us in the Bible we will better understand who God really is well that sounds important if we study how God names himself reveals himself identifies himself we will grow in our understanding of who he is and what he is like the meanings behind God's names reveals the central personality and nature of the one who bears them okay you got that all right so in the life with God it's important for us to know our name and to understand the name And in my notes, THE NAME is in all capital, N-A-M-E, THE NAME, which points us to the creator of the universe. It's important for us to understand who we are, what we are called by God, but then also understand him who is named in the Bible. Understanding that, pointing us to the creator of the universe. Being cautious then in our teaching series here uh, about moving on too quickly through the Lord's prayer, let's stop today. Let's take this Sunday, take time to notice the capital N-A-M-E of God, that name which we, as instructed by Jesus, are to keep holy. What is this name that we are sent into the world to make holy? Let's read the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy, may your kingdom come soon, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one, amen. Did you know that the name of God has quite a storied history? We kind of throw it around. We just all understand, like, God, God, oh, it's God. Oh, bless God. You know, God bless you. We, we kind of throw it around. But God's name, that which he chooses to identify himself with and reveal himself is a really long storied history. In fact, God's actual name, it's kind of an enigma. Have you ever read the Old Testament and kind of like, uh, what? What's, wait, what's his name? You'll see what I mean. God's name is something that describes him more than it identifies or locates him now it does those things but mostly it's just describing him god when asked what is your name the name he gives really describes him it doesn't it doesn't identify or locate him because who can really name the first thing who can really name the prime mover in the universe the first thing if you're the first thing no one's there to give you a name you name yourself So, how does this self naming thing describe itself? There's going to be some of these head scratching moments in today's message. Just hang on. We're talking about God. Uh, uh, It's God, okay? The name that God used in revealing himself to Moses, get this, it wasn't really a name. When Moses asked God, hey, what's your name? He really doesn't give a name so much as he gives an essence, he gives an essence, a description of his nature. It's like, my name is, well, this is what I'm like. This is my self-existent reality. Um, Look at this, in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Maybe a familiar story, you may have seen the cartoon. Um, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement, as we all would. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing. Moses said to himself, why isn't that bush burning up? I must go and see it. I get it. I would do the same thing. You? Yeah. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to Moses from the middle of the bush Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. But Moses protested (laughs) to God, Who am I? Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, oh yeah, well, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, pay attention here, verse 14. I am who I am. I am who I am say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. I am who I am. Moses comes close to the burning bush, and God introduces himself first in relationship to Moses uh, as the God of his fathers. I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Placing himself in the lineage of Moses in relationship to Moses in verse 6. And then, when pressed for an actual name, which it's important to realize that w- why is Moses asking? He, he's kind of trying to wiggle out of the responsibility. He's like, I really don't want to do this. Uh, I don't even know who you are. See, I can't go. I <laughs> don't even know who you are. Well, who, who should I say sent me? And then God simply names himself as that which is. That which is in verse 14. In response to Moses' inquiry, God replies, I am who I am, or a better translation perhaps is, I will be what I will be. I will be what I will be, which had to be somewhat unsatisfying. I mean, let's just be honest. That had to probably be a little bit like, oh, oh good. I'll go and I'll tell them you will be who you will be, sent me. Yeah, okay, God, got it. You are who you are that'll work thanks <laughs> good talk no uh, you get it I mean it's okay to realize that Moses is frustrated anyway he doesn't want to go and he's like well what's your name He's like I, I is is tell him is sent you okay now perhaps you've grown familiar with this story and perhaps you've grown familiar with the transliteration of YHWH Yahweh what we transliterate as Yahweh maybe you've heard that before and yeah, that is the Tetragrammaton you're like finally that's what it is y-h-w-h yahweh it's called the tetragrammaton which we commonly produce as or pronounce as yahweh but as with so many things in the life with God and in theology when you we say the word Yahweh we are actually saying a pretty big mouthful we're saying a lot when we say Yahweh in a real and significant way to pronounce God's name is to breathe it is the cycle of respiration, inspiration, expiration. Breathe in, breathe out. It is the rhythm of living. It is inspiration. It is the breath of creation, living inside of us. Inhale, exhale. Inhale, exhale. Yodhe, Vahe. Yodhe, Vahe. Y-H-W-H. Isn't it interesting to think that the very breath that entered into Adam's nostrils began a rhythm that continues in me and you, the breath of God being breathed in, breathed out daily, minute by minute, in us. Yod-Hev, vah The Blue Letter Bible goes on to say, Yahweh is the promised name of God. The name of God, by which, uh, which by Jewish tradition is too holy to voice is actually spelled YHWH without vowels. YHWH is referred to as the tetragrammaton which simply means the four letters. Nothing real fancy there, it just means four letters. YHWH comes from the Hebrew letters Yod, yod Heh Vav he, which YHWH is first used in Genesis chapter 2. God did not reveal himself as uh Uh, Yahweh until Exodus 3. The modern spelling as Yahweh includes vowels to assist in pronunciation. Anyone taking a Hebrew course? No vowels, right? So you have to kind of put them in there to help connect the letters. Many pronounce Yahweh as Yahweh or Jehovah. We no longer know for certain the exact pronunciation. During the 3rd century AD, the Jewish people stopped saying this name in fear of contravening the commandment, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, which we read in Exodus chapter 20. As a result of this, the word or the name Adonai is, often used, uh, is occasionally used to substitute for Yahweh or YHWH. Is that helpful at all? Kind of interesting, right? Now, you've probably seen emails or texts or read things where uh, Y-H-W-H or, or God is not spelled out. Have you ever seen someone write G D? hyphen D? This is because there's that fearful reverence of even pronouncing the name of God, of accidentally saying it in vain. Has anyone ever seen The Life of Brian? It's a Monty Python movie. There's a scene in there where a guy's about to be stoned to death. You know why? because he's eating a piece of fish, and he says, this halibut is good enough for Jehovah. And so everyone rallies around, grabs rocks, and they're going to stone him to death, and then the high priest gets in trouble because he's explaining what happened, and he accidentally says the name of Jehovah. It's Monty Python. But this halibut is good enough for Jehovah, and they kill the guy. So people were fearful of saying the name of God. Now, helpfully, helpfully for Moses and for us, God, the one who cannot be... Um, Easily named, as we found out. He locates himself in the context of relationship. Of relationship, as he always has. And I think this is an important aspect to understand. The one who is who he is describes himself in community, placing himself in the lineage of Moses and of Israel, not for his own benefit, but for ours. To help us better understand him, he places himself in our time, among our people, so like, he fits into our understanding a little bit better for our benefit. And we see that in verse 15 of, uh, of what we read in Exodus chapter 3. And this is what God does. And this is what God, whose ways and his thoughts are eons beyond ours, he's always doing this in pursuit of us. He's always coming into our reality, always coming into our timeline. He's always doing this in pursuit of us he translates himself he introduces himself he even goes as far as incarnating himself into our reality on terms that we can comprehend this is what God does over and over and over again most beautifully in Jesus Christ himself strangely the name which God gives for himself the name we go about hallowing the name we go about keeping holy it becomes something that names us just as much as it names God Himself, that this name that God gives to describe, to, to, to identify Himself actually has implications for us. Uh, look at Numbers chapter 6, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I mean here, that God's name actually identifies us. Numbers chapter 6, starting verse 22 through 27. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons to bless the people of Israel with this special blessing. Perhaps you've heard this. It's called the Aaronic Blessing. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show his favor and give you his peace. Verse 27, whenever Aaron and his sons bless the people of Israel in my name, I myself will bless them. Now, this is the New Living Translation. If you read this in the ESV or the NIV, which are more literal uh, in their translation efforts, uh, it says this in the ESV, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. The priest will pronounce this blessing, and by doing so, they will put my name upon the people. Uh, The NIV says, so they will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. Pronounce this blessing, and in doing so, you will put my name on my people. They will be identified, but they will be blessed by my name. So God's name comes, it's given to us, it's put upon us, and we are blessed. One of Aaron's brothers, Aaron, the priest. Did I say that right? Yes, that made no sense. One of Aaron's uh, and the priest's role. Now, Aaron was Moses' brother. Sorry, that was a little choppy. But one of Aaron's roles one of the, and the priest's roles was to pronounce God's special blessing over Israel. And this blessing was putting his name upon them. May they be known by me my name will be on them by receiving God's name they received not only identification but they received blessings so as we participate in hallowing God's name in all the earth we join with God's people of old becoming known and becoming blessed by faith in Jesus Christ this is what it means for us here today by faith in Jesus Christ we are now included in God's family we have become part of Israel We are grafted in. And now we are blessed by God's very name being put upon us. How does that make you feel? Now, by faith in Jesus, we now have the name of God put upon us. It identifies us, locates us, but guys, it blesses us. As we go out into the world, bearing that name, making it holy in all the earth. That's good news. I want to finish up today with some key insights into god's name i want to give you some key insights from desiringgod.org about yahweh to help us build out our understanding of who god is and how god is okay remember i said there were some head scratchers this goes a little bit deep so i'll i'll try to keep it simple but hang in there okay if you have questions please ask afterwards i can happily show you my notes maybe it'll make more sense but the first thing i'd like to say about who god is and how god is is god never had a beginning and he will never end okay god never had a beginning and he will never end did any of you as kids really wrestle with this like how was god never born how was god always just there our brains don't have a category for that it's like, oh, wait, what? You know, PC load letter. That doesn't compute. I don't know what to do with that. It's like an error code comes up in our brain because how does something never have a beginning and never end? God simply is. God has always been. He has no beginning. From before time began, God existed in the fellowship of the Trinity. And if he did, if he did not come into being, he cannot go out of being because he is the actual essence and meaning of being. He is that which, which undergirds, which forms, and which makes a reality of being. The one constant in the universe is God himself. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Whatever that has meant to you previously, expand it by the power of a thousand. He is and always has been. So God never had a beginning, and He will never end. The second thing, God is absolute reality. God is absolute reality, and He is utterly independent. He is absolute reality, and He is utterly independent. There is no reality before Him. There is no reality outside Him unless He wills it, makes it, or permits it to exist. Everything that is, is because God allowed it to be. He is all that was eternally. Before space, before the universe, before even the emptiness and void of pre creation, there was God and only God. You see how vast this is? I mean, even before there was nothing, there was God. He depends on nothing to bring Him into being. He depends on nothing to support him or to make him what he is. He is self-existing and self-revealing. God is absolute reality, and he is utterly independent. The third thing I'll say, everything that is not God depends totally upon God. Everything that is not God depends totally on God, and all the universe is, compared to God, in and of itself, nothing. What I mean by that is the entire universe is utterly secondary to God. So God is at the center. And everything else is around Him, is flowing from Him, proceeding from Him. It came into being by God and is sustained by God's decision to keep it in being and to sustain it. Colossians helps explain this. Colossians, uh, or I'm sorry, um, yeah, Colossians chapter 1, Paul explains in verses 15 through 17. Uh, when when talking of Christ being supreme Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through Him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we cannot see, such as the thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through Him and for Him. He existed before anything else, and He holds all creation together. It is through Christ that He created all, and it's through Christ that He holds it all together. So, Hold on for this next sentence. Contingent, dependent reality, which is our existence, is to absolute, independent reality, which is God's existence, as a shadow is to the substance. Okay, think of a sh- the, the, the thing and then the shadow of the thing, okay? Ours is the shadow, God's is the actual thing. So our contingent, dependent reality is, is to the absolute independent reality of God as a shadow to the substance. It is an echo to the thunderclap. It is a reflection of that object. All that we are amazed by in the world and in the galaxies is, compared to God, merely a reflection of the true source. All the beauty, all the wonder, all the all the uh, amazement we feel in creation as we look to the stars and we look around the terrestrial plane points us to its actual source. It is an effect of the source. So, everything that is not God depends totally on God and all the universe is compared to God in and of itself nothing. God is constant. God is constant. He is the absolute standard of truth, goodness, and beauty. God is constant. He is the absolute standard of truth, goodness, and beauty. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He cannot be improved. He is not becoming anything. God is not progressing. He is not, uh, he is not growing. He is not becoming something else. He is who He is. He is yod vah He is Yahweh. He is as he introduces himself in the burning bush to Moses, so he is to us today. God is who he is. There is no law book to which he looks to know what is right. There is no source to which he refers to know if something is just. There is no almanac to which he refers to, to discover the facts. No committee to determine what is excellent or beautiful. No consortium to decide what is wise or good. God himself is the standard of what is right, what is true, what is beautiful, and what is worthy. God himself, is, he is self-referencing. So God is constant. He is the absolute standard of truth, goodness, and beauty. Lastly, whew, we're almost done. God does what he pleases, and it is always right. It is always just and it, always, it is always true. So God does what he pleases, and it is always right, always just, and always true. All rightly perceived reality outside of God was created, designed, and is governed in correspondence with his absolute reality. All rightly perceived reality. Everything we can discern and, and understand uh, it was created by God, is designed by Him, and is governed in correspondence to His reality. He, God is completely free from any constraints that do not originate from His own will and counsel. He is not constrained by anything outside of His own will and counsel. God is the most important and the most valuable reality in all the universe. God is more worthy of interest, inquiry, admiration, and enjoyment than all other realities, including the universe itself. This is why in ages past, uh, all the sciences, all the the intellectual pursuits were, were grounded in the faith because we understood this, that everything we can discover, discern, admire, and enjoy finds its source, found its source in the one who created it. And we did our best, in most cases, to look back to the source. So all the universe itself, points back to God. He is the one who is worthy. God is the first assumption in creation and his existence lends order and meaning to all else that is. Indeed, all who trust in Jesus and call upon the name of the Lord, that's you and me, we live and move and have our beings in him. Everything about who you are, everything we go about doing in our time given It it flows from God, our Creator. We live and move and have our being in Him. So, as we go out this week into our worlds, those who belong to God go forth with His very name upon us. We go out from here with His name upon us, His name breathing in our very lungs. So what does that mean? Well, as Walt Whitman says, Now, Voyager, sail thou forth to seek and find... And then I add on to that. Go into your workplace. Go into your neighborhood. Go into your school. Go into your homes, hallowing that name. The name that was given to Moses uh, by God from the burning bush is the name that is given to us and is that name that we carry with us as we depart from this place. So go and hallow God's name in all the earth. Let's pray together. Father, it's good for us to press pause sometimes, and to consider the the magnitude of that whom we are dealing with. God, we have a habit as humans of uh, letting routines and habits develop that that kind of insulate us from the awe and the fear and the wonder of dealing with the creator of the very universe, that which preexisted all that is, that which spoke everything that is into being out of nothing. That fearful and terrible understanding, God has been brought close and has been made understandable to a a saving degree in Jesus Christ. So God, I pray that uh, we would rediscover, that we would hear anew all that is being said when you told Moses that you are who you are. That even in the name given it it opens up this vast inscrutable understanding of how you are you will be who you will be for Israel and Egypt for the church in the first century and for us here today you will be who you will be so God may we hold to that may we understand that when we follow Jesus that your very name your very essence Is put upon us that we are blessed and we're sent forth in your name God thank you for the redeeming work you accomplished in Jesus Christ that we could come into that reality that we would no longer be on the outside looking in but that we would understand who we are better because of you of who you have revealed yourself to be in Scripture and in Jesus Christ Lord be of my friends here today as they seek to follow Jesus I pray that they would understand that it all begins with you. Everything they are, everything they believe, everything they're pursuing in this life must square with that which you've revealed about yourself. You're not being improved upon. You're not changing with the times. You've not let the church languish for 2,000 years with a false or an inadequate understanding that we're just now arriving at. You are who you are. And you have always been. So God, may we conform our thinking and may we conform our very lives to that reality expressed to us in Jesus Christ. Lord, make us faithful. May we know your blessing as your name is spoken upon us and and carried by us into the world. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to worship a bit more and maybe we should sit with this. Um, I know that was a lot to take in, but it's important for us to understand who it is that we're calling upon when we say the name of God, when we look to Jesus and say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Man, we're saying a lot. kind of goes off like a bomb in our head. Like, Bleh. what? Hallowed be your holy, may your name be kept holy. Wow. So we're going to take a few moments. Uh, sit with that. Interact with that. Make yourself available to the Holy Spirit that is in this room. Jesus promised it. Um, If you'd like to pray with somebody, I'll be up here. Christy and I will be up here. Uh, Kendi's at the back. I mean, there's people who can pray with you, but the thing is, make the most of this opportunity.